0: Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. Hope you've had a good week. Hope you feel that you're being effective in influencing, educating and inspiring others to stand for what is right. Those that are fasting, thank you for doing that. Please keep it up. It's so vital. It's a key role that we play here on earth as Christians and those watching on all the different platforms, please consider going to agendaweekly.com to become a subscriber there and get all of the things we offer every week. I've got a special treat for you this week. I'm going to be interviewing Gary Kau, who wrote a book called En Route to Global Occupation. And uh, we'll get into the details of who he is and the experience that he's had that helped him understand decades ago how serious the threat and how serious the plan is of instituting a world government. But I think you're really gonna enjoy this. But thanks again for joining me. So Gary, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Curtis, it's it's wonderful to be with you, to see you again. And uh, thanks for having me on your program.
0: You're more than welcome. I appreciate it. Everybody listening, um, Gary Kaw has been a family friend for 30-plus years. and And so it's always nice when you get to reconnect with like-minded people that have been fighting the same battles and doing the same things. And so I'm thankful for that. But in setting things up here to let him share with you a lot of what he's learned over the last several decades in studying what's going on in the world. I just want to remind you that we've talked about before about Cecil Rhodes. And in the the late 1800s, Cecil Rhodes, of course, wanted to have the political, economic, and religious unification of the world. It was a satanic plot that had kind of been given to him in a vision, and many people before him have had it, but he was able to kind of put a a roadmap to it and then get it going in different little roundtable groups all over the world. So many of the globalists, the elites started to have a common vision of what they wanted to do. Well, Gary wrote a book and I encourage you to get it and we'll tell you how to get it at the end on his website, but it's called Enroute to global occupation. And I'm just gonna read just a little bit off the back of it here for you, so you understand where he's coming from and the things he's studied. It says, high-ranking government liaison, Neri Kha, warns that national sovereignty will soon be a thing of the past. Political forces around the world are now cooperating in an unprecedented fashion to achieve their goal of uniting the people of this planet under a new world order. Because of his background in government, Gary Call was invited to join the World Constitution and Parliament Association overseeing the planning and implementation of the One World Government. For the skeptical observer, the material in this book should serve as ample evidence that the drive to create a One World Government is for real. And the reason I took the time to read that is a lot of you listening to that will go yeah that that yeah i know all about that and i've been studying that but gary wrote this book in 1992 30 years ago and i think it is so important to to value the opinions of those that saw what was going on decades before anybody else saw what was going on and then as you see history unfold you see how'd they know that and you realize Obviously, they've been studying carefully to know what was going to happen. And so I always value the opinion so much of people that have had a history of speaking truth, even when it's not popular, or I'm sure in 92, when you first came out with this, a lot of people go, what are you talking about? Stock market's booming, life's never been better, global what, (laughs) you know? And so, but now 30 years later, most of the world's going, what's going on well that's what we're going to talk about gary what did you come across in 1992 that made you start to see this is a real thing there's really is an agenda behind the scenes
1: well really it started in the 1980s Um, that's when i worked for our indiana state government and i was one of their point people Uh, traveling overseas to bring in business to our state. Uh, Specifically, I was helping to increase our exports to create more jobs back here on the home front. And so I was on the payroll of the state government, but my meetings overseas were arranged through our US embassies, our state department. And so everywhere I traveled, uh, which was to over 20 different countries throughout Europe, uh, Far East, I was in Israel four times, all over the place. Again, they were set up through our embassies and I got to know the people there and they put me in contact with uh, the international business leaders that uh, we were trying to reach who might be interested in our products made here in Indiana. And so gradually through those meetings, I discovered that, to my surprise, that there were a good percentage of people in our State Department who were very supportive of a globalist agenda And, you know, when you spend anywhere from two to four days in a in a city working hand in hand with these people, you kind of get to know them. We go out to dinner together. Sometimes they would even have me into their homes and um, uh, we would talk about international economic developments, of course, because that's the area we were working in. Uh, And then it's just one step further to talk about political developments. And sometimes we get into religious uh, matters as well. And I got really good at that time at playing dumb. (laughs) Uh, I found if you show your hand, sometimes people will clam up and not tell you anything else. So I would just ask questions and let people talk. And it's amazing uh, what I learned through that. Um, Consistently, those people who supported the globalist agenda were not very fond of Bible-believing Christians or conservative Jews. Uh, They also were not very favorable toward Israel. And so I found all that to be quite interesting. And and you have to understand my own personal background. Um, I was born in the United States, but my father fled from the communists at the age of 12 in Croatia. They were called the partisans at the time, but eventually they became uh, the communists in that country. Uh, He only had about one to two days notice. I mean, he and his family got out of there with uh, a few suitcases and a few pots and pans and became refugees, very much like what is going on in Ukraine right now. Well, during a war time setting like that, there's almost no safe place. You just go wherever you can where there's no fighting at the moment. And so uh, within a few months, they ended up in the mountains of Austria where they found a, a safe place they thought Uh, Only to find out that uh, he was in a boarding school that was being headed up by Nazis who were training these young boys to be cannon fodder for Hitler on the Eastern Front. And so at the age of 13, within less than a year of fleeing from the communists, dad jumped out of a two story window and ran for his life fleeing from the Nazis. And, um, and, and then my mom grew up under Hitler in Germany uh, with a father who was very outspoken against Hitler. So on both sides of the family, um, you know, we, we can really relate to what's going on right now in, in Ukraine. And when I was in my job and I'm learning of, of these people who support this globalist agenda, who don't really like Christians and their conservative worldview, uh, but they're favoring a type of coming new world order of one world society, um, that really threw up some flags. And of course I was more sensitized to these types of things because of my background. And and so I think the Lord used that uh, to help me take notice. And then I began doing some research and um, long story short, uh, after a couple of years, the Lord opened up uh, the door for me to share at some Bible study groups. Uh, one of those was in our secretary of state's office. He happened to be a Christian. And so some state Christian state legislators were part of that Bible study. So they asked me to share it other groups and, and it just kind of began to move forward like that. And, uh, then eventually I was given an ultimatum as the word got out that I was speaking about these things. And so, um, I I was told that if I uh, didn't stop talking about these things, it would cost me my job. And uh, uh, his exact words were, as long as you work for this administration, you will not talk about any of these things to any groups, regardless of their size, whether they are Christian or non-Christian. Is that understood? And before I could even think of a response, he said, you've been a tremendous asset to our administration, and we do not want to lose you, but the choice is yours. And so that was in April of 1985. That's how far back this goes. And then in May, I submitted my letter of resignation. I felt uh, the Lord calling me to document these developments and and to write a book. Um, And of course, I had no idea it would take over six years to do that. Um, But that's kind of how all this uh, this got going. And and, uh, just quickly, Curtis, I wanna get our Lieutenant Governor off the hook. He was a wonderful man. He was not the one that gave me the ultimatum. We had a splendid relationship. It was someone else, but it was someone within the administration. And this was a Republican administration, but there were some globalists in it, as I would discover. And uh, so it's not just a Democrat or Republican thing. Uh, These globalists play both sides. Today, we have a much higher percentage of Democrats committed to this globalist agenda, but there are Republicans as well involved in pushing it
0: that's in the 80s, <laughs> you're hearing about global ideas and global things going on, and then you're reprimanded where you realize, my goodness, they do know what they're doing. Otherwise, they would. if they were ignorant of it, they'd go, oh, what are you talking about? But they knew it's a real thing. And so what's some of the key things, just to overview, that you covered then over those six years as you started to dig in and study, what's just some of the pieces of the puzzle, some of the things that you wrote about in 92, that again, made you realize just just how serious this was?
1: Yeah, I was actually writing the book between 1985 and 1992. So some of the information in the book goes back even further as I was doing the research and putting it together. But um, two things actually happened that were huge. Um, Before I left my job and immediately afterwards, um, I was invited to join two separate organizations. One of them operating within our government at the federal level, they recruited me. Um, I was in that organization, organization for seven years. The last three years, I had secret clearance. The other organization, which I do mention in my book, was the World Constitution and Parliament Association, the WCPA. Again, that's the World Constitution and Parliament Association. At the time, they were like, it was as if the spokes going out of a wheel from from the center. They were coordinating a lot of efforts uh, for the globalists, and there were at least at least 200 different leaders of different organizations who belonged to this one organization. All of them globalists. Uh, leaders from Greenpeace, uh, the former president of the World Council of Churches, former UN ambassadors, mayors of prominent cities. Uh, One former U.S. Attorney General who served as a vice president of the organization, his name was actually on the letterhead, on the stationery, people representing all of the world's major uh, religions. And so I was brought into this organization. Um, I think, frankly, at the time, they saw me as maybe an up-and-coming figure in in our state's politics. And because my title that I had held on my job was that of Europe and Middle East trade specialist. And I had worked overseas hand in hand with our embassies, so I could see how someone might think I'm a globalist people just assume that if, if you move in those circles, you're going to be a globalist. And so I was brought into that organization and corresponded with the Secretary General of that group for four years. And at the time it was headquartered out of Lakewood, Colorado. and. Um, So I began doing some digging into these people and I took the top three leaders in the organization at that time and discovered that all three of them were also members of an organization headquartered in India called World Union. And I had never heard of that organization. So I dug into that further and discovered that World Union was founded by the same people who founded World Goodwill, a very occultic organization with headquarters in London and New York City. World Goodwill was founded by Alice Bailey, who today is referred to as the mother of the New Age movement, and who also happened to found Lucifer Publishing Company back in 1921 or 1922. And she, through her writings, helped really to spawn the modern New Age movement which you can call it whatever you want, you know whether it's the New Age, interfaith, globalist movement, it all ties together. And so these people were just a couple steps removed from, from Alice Bailey and Lucifer Publishing Company. And um, that explained a lot of things because they shared a lot of mystical views and religious philosophies. Again, uh, Bible-believing Christians uh, were not um, people who they viewed favorably. And so what I learned in that organization really opened up a, a lot. Um, one thing that stuck out, which became more important later on, I was in that organization, receiving their information uh, in, from around 1986 to 1990. And of course the Rio de Janeiro Earth Summit would take place in the early nineties. And that's when we first began to publicly hear about global warming. And climate change, well, I heard about it in this organization way back in 1986. I knew that this was gonna be a huge part of their One World Agenda. In fact, they put out a a list of 49 reasons for why we need to have a world government that they passed out to people in, in their network. Remember, this was all behind the scenes at the time. This was not a public effort. This was being coordinated somewhat quietly among these different organizations. And of those 49 reasons, something like 13 or 14 of them had to do with the environment. That we have to have a world government eventually to solve the environmental crisis so the world doesn't destroy itself. Another big reason was war. We need to have uh, a world government to prevent future wars because just think if there's only one government over the entire world and just one major military, the nations won't be able to fight each other anymore there would finally be world peace, which on the surface sounds great, doesn't it? But what what if the bad guys are in control, right? And we give up all of our checks and balances to them. Uh, They don't ask those questions. Um, Another one was the coming economic financial collapse. Uh, We need to have a new global financial system as part of this coming world government uh, because the current system is going to collapse. And so they need to have the new system ready to go and it will be a cashless system. Now, this was back in the 80s. We're 30 years beyond that, and that's exactly where we're at today. I mean, all this is getting ready to be implemented. I do wanna mention briefly that this same organization today, I do not take them as seriously. If you go to their website, my opinion, it's it's a big joke. Um, And part of that is because when my book came out and exposed their efforts, uh, part two of my book, actually reproduced some of their documents, and and it laid the whole thing open, and then other people came along as well and exposed it, so um, we did about 40 talk shows the first two months, and they were irate with me, I'll I'll just say that, Um, but after that, they changed their approach, and you have to understand these kinds of organizations are floated out by people even more powerful behind the scenes, and if they are exposed, they just retreat, and they keep Doing the same things, but through other organizations and um, the World Constitution of Parliament Association, their leaders were also prominent members of the World Federalist Association, which is very closely tied to the United Nations. And so, in my opinion, uh, after this organization uh, was exposed and people began to find out about it, I think the World Federalist Association began to take different approaches and they're still doing the same thing, but in different ways. So... Uh, again, this organization still exists, but in a different way today than it uh, did 35 years ago.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And the the key part of Alice Bailey. Uh, most of the leaders of the United Nations were followers of Alice Bailey, and half these globalists. There always there has to be a spiritual side to things because we are spiritual beings, and mm-hmm. so that yeah, if as you dig into the environmental movement and how even Gorbachev went into that, the dictator from the Soviet Union. And he was in this new age movement and started to worship mother earth. It just shows, again, this this is a spiritual battle that we're in and uh, they're dead serious about it.
1: It's a very, very strong, politically speaking, it's a very strong socialist, Marxist, progressive uh, agenda. Uh, but there's a spiritual tie-in, and it's very new-agey, pantheistic, uh, but the higher up you go into it, it actually, at some point, becomes luciferic. I mean, there are those people that literally worship the source of these false teachings. It it actually uh, gets to that point, and in in a moment here, I'll read you a quote that ties all this together, Um, but there is a political and economic and a spiritual aspect to this agenda, it's a it's an entire worldview and it clashes with the Christian worldview. And so we are seeing all of this come to a head in our time.
0: That's right. No, absolutely. Um, and 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 that maybe you can read the quote in this section as as you answer the question. So so that was back then in the 80s and 90s and you wrote the book and you would found all this stuff that you researched and found out. Now, thir- fast forward 30 years. To right now, and just talk for a minute about how uh, how the the progression has gone, and how amazing it has been to see them accomplish these goals. Things that would seem crazy in '92, like the environmental movement, which was nothing then. It was a far left tree hugger, you know, people chaining themselves right. to trees in Oregon. To now, it's the most powerful movement in the world. Nothing even close. But kind of talk about how you see it today in retrospect
1: well the goal of these organizations uh, back in the 80s and early 90s was to begin to go public with their agenda around the year 2000 that was uh, kind of like a launching pad in fact there were a number of meetings in september and october of the year 2000 uh, covering the political the economic and the religious sides of this and that As I go back in my mind, that was kind of the beginning of the more public push. And then during the last two years of uh, the George Bush Jr. administration, around 2006 or so, uh, things I noticed really began to unfold more quickly. And then of course, through the Obama years, uh, it really sped up. And um, under Trump, um, he began to undo some of the things that they were putting in place. And boy, did they not like that. And, uh, and then of course, since Biden uh, has been in over the last year, it's just been a, you know, a free fall for, for globalization. Uh, our economy is being ruined. Um, ultimately, uh, this is as much about a takedown of the United States as anything else. Because as long as the US is strong, it's very difficult to have a true world government. So somehow uh, the US has to be brought down. Our freedoms have to be diminished and subjugated, and so I believe we are witnessing right now, Curtis, a deliberate attempt to destroy our economy uh, through the oil situation, Uh, this war, of course, factoring into that, but even before that, um, making us dependent again on foreign oil. As you know, today, our government is in discussions with Iran and Venezuela to buy oil from them, so, we're probably not going to buy any more oil from Russia, but we're going to buy it from their allies from Iran and Venezuela. I mean, this is so ridiculous that any person with, you don't even have to really have much spiritual discernment, just a little bit of common sense, people can see that something is up. You know, this is not a coincidence. There's an agenda behind it. And so, um, the people are living in fear now. Uh, this war is escalating. One wrong move by NATO or the U.S., and and things could really escalate. And and so there's that threat of of global conflict. There's a threat of a falling economy, um, uh, uh, inflation. Uh, People are going to be strapped as never before, I believe, as this thing continues to move forward. So the stage is being set for uh, the demise of the U.S., and then... The presenting of a global financial system, unlike anything that we've had prior, that will be presented as the cure-all for everything. And it will be a cashless system with an electronic monetary unit. They have already been experimenting with this in West Africa for about two years that we are aware of. Uh, Three organizations, I'll just mention, and it's much more complex than this, but uh, I believe listeners need to be aware of this. Um, Three organizations networking very closely on these developments. Uh, One of them is Trust Stamp. Uh, They cover the technology part of it. MasterCard uh, is covering the financial side of it. And GAVI, which is G-A-V-I, the Global Alliance of Vaccines and Immunizations, Uh, Is covering the whole COVID uh, pandemic vaccination side of it. And these three are working in cahoots together. uh, And there is coming a mark that people will have to take on their hand that will be, it it will include uh, a vaccine, your health passport or your your health record, as well as a component that gives off a signal that will allow you to make financial transactions simply by waving your hand over a certain kind of scanner. Um, Now, uh, you know, smartphones will play in. Uh, They already have a special app that will work with this. But again, how can you introduce this type of of drastic, uh, new global economic financial system unless the old system collapses first? Uh, These globalists have to have a reason they can give to people uh, for such a new drastic uh, step. And that's what they're setting up right now. And if people understand that, a lot of these other developments make a whole lot more sense. Uh, you begin to realize why things are happening as they are.
0: That's right. No, it's, it's uh, that's why the, they needed the COVID because they needed, uh, they wanted some way to ha- have everyone be identified and labeled and, and inventoried. Um, going forward, and they're like, okay, a crisis of of uh, pandemic will be the perfect vehicle to do that. Yeah, if you, as you see, That's why people watching this, it's so important you understand these things. So then when they present something, you can see what they're doing. You're not deceived by it, like, oh, that makes sense. So your ID won't be stolen anymore or whatever. They always make it. They sell it as if this is going to make your life better, safer, And and,
1: and no more cash, right? It's dirty. Uh, No more germs. It will be a contactless point of sale. And so that all ties in as well. So they they, they really took the COVID agenda as far as they could for right now because people began to figure things out and, and uh, it, it began to backfire a little bit, so they needed a new crisis. They backed off of COVID for a time. Of course, it's an election year. So the Democrats are making it look like they've won a sort of victory by getting us as a country to the point where we have a bit more freedom now, once again, with COVID, uh, but then enter this, the, the war uh, in, in, in Ukraine. you know, And, and um, I, I have my own beliefs on that, but I think that is part of, of the bigger agenda uh, of getting us into a crisis scenario. And um, uh, we'll see where all that goes. I'm hoping for the best, but bracing for, for the worst. And um, if I may comment on that, can I just a little bit on the Ukraine crisis, because it's I mean,
0: yeah, it's great.
1: um, Our publisher to the Slavic countries has been headquartered in Kiev. We were approached a number of years ago by this very bold, brave, good Christian man uh, asking for permission to translate my book into Russian so that they could get it out through Ukraine and Russia. So it went out to tens of thousands of Christian leaders all over the Slavic countries from Kiev. And, and so we're really connected into Ukraine. I've been there twice, I've spoken there. We have a gal who's like our adopted daughter, whose sister, who has a heart condition, was trying to get out of Ukraine yesterday and just made it into Poland. So we've been tied into this in multiple uh, different ways and following it very closely. And I feel for the Ukrainian people, I'll tell you, they are the most wonderful Christian people. When I've been over there, you know what? They don't ask, uh, when when did you get saved? You know what they ask you? They said, when did you repent? The only place in the world I've ever been where that's how they ask you when you became a Christian. I mean, they mean business. They, They realize that's when you become serious about Christ is when you actually repent. And um, so anyway, uh, like I said, we've been so connected into Ukraine, and and my heart aches for them, what they're going through right now. They are on a chessboard of international players right now, and they are completely trapped and caught in the middle of this. Do you remember the Sochi Olympic Games that were held in in Sochi in Russia in 2014? Something happened uh, back then that I think... It was monumental. It was huge. Um, During the Olympics, when Putin was wanting to showcase Russia, he had just put billions of dollars into these Olympics. They were state-of-the-art, very beautiful. So what happens in the meantime? A coup in Kiev, uh, pushing out the pro-Russian leader and trying to replace him with someone else. A coup sponsored by Western intelligence, I believe mainly from the United States and Britain, right in the middle of the Olympic Games. So... The media begins covering this coup in Ukraine that is anti-Russia against Putin, a complete embarrassment to Putin on a a public stage in the middle of the Olympic Games. And I remember looking at my wife, sitting on the couch with her as as this was breaking, and I told her, Audrey, they've poked the bear one time too many. Uh, This is not going to set well with Putin. Uh, This changes everything. Um, yes, Putin was KGB member, uh, dictatorial and, and so forth, but he's not stupid. And as long as Ukraine uh, was not in any kind of a way a threat to him, I think he was willing to, to let it go. They had he had one of his people as president there. Um, and uh, so I personally believe the best situation for Ukraine would have been to move forward kind of like a Finland having good trade relations with the West and economic uh, exchanges, uh, but not speaking directly in in a vicious kind of way, you know, against Russia. But that coup changed all that. Now, in Russia's mind, Ukraine was moving toward NATO and becoming allied with the West. And I knew right then there's no way Putin would ever let go of Ukraine. So this war that we're witnessing right now was predictable at least eight years ago. And then to help set the stage, the US through the Biden administration did about everything possible to, to lure Putin, to tempt him to make this move through our debacle in Afghanistan and the weakness that we showed. Uh, buying oil from Russia when we have all the oil we need for a hundred years back here at home, urging uh, Germany to do the same thing. I mean, this whole thing has been set up, and, and yeah, you know, I always try to be careful not to be too conspiratorial. But the fact is, we are in a spiritual battle, and it is ultimately a conspiracy. I mean, between good and evil, between God and Satan. Uh, in the end, of course, we know Satan is no match for God. God will win, but in the meantime. Uh, The devil can wreak a lot of havoc, and he's doing that in this world, and he's trying to bring everything to a head now to form this global government. And this war, I think, is going to terrify people to the point where afterwards they will be more conditioned and prepared to embrace a, a global political economic system. And I think that's where all of this is ultimately going and as i mentioned earlier i have a quote that ties in with this but i want to throw it back to you curtis if you
0: know that'd be great go into the quote but then talk about and i think it'll fit into your quote how close are we to world government you know with, with the world economic forum their great reset i know 2030 is a huge year they've set so many agenda 2030 that they, they've set that as a goal to accomplish everything they want to accomplish. Whether they do it or not, we will find out, but read the quote and then just talk about just for a minute or two, the reality of how, how close is this away, one one crisis away or whatever, to actually having world government.
1: All right, uh, this is from page 144 of my book, uh, en Route to Global Occupation. In a letter to the Italian revolutionary leader, Giuseppe Mazzini dated August 15th, 1871, Albert Pike, who was an Illuminist and the head of Scottish Rite Freemasonry in the United States at the time, described a distant final war, which he felt would be necessary to finally usher in the new world order many years, many decades down the road, and according to Pike, this conflict between two future superpowers would be sparked by first igniting another crisis he wrote, now this is a direct quote from Pike, we shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists and we shall provoke a great social cataclysm which in all its horror will show clearly to all nations the effect of absolute atheism, the origin of savagery and of most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere the people forced to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitudes disillusioned with Christianity whose deistic spirits will be from that moment on without direction and leadership, anxious for an ideal but without knowledge where to send its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer brought finally out into public view a manifestation which will result from a general reactionary movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time, end quote. Now, I believe with the current war that's unfolding in Eastern Europe, we may be on the threshold of this very scenario uh, that was laid out over 100 years ago. Uh, we're seeing the potential war between two nuclear superpowers. Uh, every day it's escalating a little bit further. I, I feel as if a trap is, is being laid. And uh, if things go much further, I mean, just seeing what's going on in Ukraine is bad enough with the lives being lost. there, innocent civilians running for their lives. And this is playing out in real time. Uh, because people have smartphones these days. And it's the first war like this that we are watching live as it's happening. And, um, but I think this is just the beginning, quite honestly. And if the World Economic Forum, if the main players have their way, I really believe in my heart and soul that they want World War III. And I realize that's accusing them of incredible evil But these people are evil. I mean, this is wickedness in in high places. And they're determined to get their agenda, their great reset in. And if it takes World War III to do it, they'll do it. And and so you've got um, uh, people like uh, George Soros, uh, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, who was a protege of Henry Kissinger, by the way, and and co-founded the World Economic Forum with Maurice Strong of Canada, who is very much tied in. Uh, to the Rockefeller Foundations, Uh, so it's some of the same old money people, but every generation, they have some new people that step forward and keep this thing going, and they're as dedicated to this agenda as we as Christians are to spreading the gospel and the truth of Christ, and a lot of Christians miss that. They don't realize the kind of business that these people uh, mean, and so I want to be wrong. I, I do hope the Lord gives us more time, for obvious reasons, I think we all do. Um, But if things keep moving forward at the current pace, to to answer your question or to try to answer it, um, by the end of this year, we could be living in a completely different world, depending how this war unfolds, how quickly it unfolds. Uh, Because as long as the Biden administration has a majority in Congress, uh, these forces can do just about anything they want. If we make it to the midterm elections, they might lose some of that and therefore lose momentum. So they have a real incentive to move as quickly and you know as they can to get as much of this implemented between now and then. Um, hopefully, you know we still have a few years of relative freedom left. But I, I'm a little hesitant share, sharing this next part, but I feel led by the Lord to do so because. This information just came to me over the weekend, and I don't believe that's a coincidence, knowing that I was going to be doing the program with you today. I have it through two good sources, two separate sources that just a few days ago, uh, a nuclear sub was spotted by our military uh, off of the coast, the East Coast, about 15 miles out in the ocean from Norfolk, Virginia. And some of our uh, military jets pinged the sub, letting them know, we know you're there. And the sub actually came up out of the water in full of It's like they wanted us to know that, that they are there. And that particular sub, if I remember correctly from what I was told, uh, has, I think, 16 major nuclear warheads on it and dozens of lesser ones. So just that sub alone could take out a, a good part of our East Coast if they wanted to. And the one thing I think about this war in Ukraine that that really did surprise me was how quickly Putin began talking about nuclear. I think it was like three or four days into the war, he actually used a nuclear threat, you know, talk of it. And so we have to understand they do have submarines around our coast. If they want to do it, they can Also, about a year ago, Russia held a nuclear drill under Putin and they successfully, in about 10 to 15 minutes time, got over 40 million Russian people uh, into nuclear bunkers where they would have been safe from a a nuclear blast. And so they obviously feel, Putin does, they can survive a, a nuclear war, but I think he's pretty confident the U.S. might not. And we're not near as prepared in, in that kind of way as, as they are. So, again, because we're unprepared and we have weak leadership right now, that creates a temptation uh, and, uh, you know, a plausibility on Putin's part to actually do something if, if we get uh, too involved. So, again, the people in Ukraine, they're caught in the middle. I mean, you want to help them. You want to do something. But, again, we're, we're, we're this close to World War III potentially and, and a nuclear situation. I mentioned earlier that I had been invited to join two different organizations and one of them was in the federal government. Let me go back and talk about that one a little bit. This was back in the late eighties. It was during the uh, George Bush senior administration that I had my three years of of secret clearance in that organization. And uh, they did tabletop exercises, uh, which would kind of play out a scenario Uh, that would lead to people like me being called in to serve in an emergency crisis situation. I would have been called in in a type of martial law situation. Uh, The organization I was in today is under the Department of Homeland Security. Back then, Homeland Security uh, didn't exist. But this was a network of maybe at least 15 different agencies or so that were under the umbrella of FEMA. And so... The scenario, uh, one of the scenarios that was shared was a war would break out overseas and then the U.S. would kind of be drawn into it and it would get out of hand. And we were hit with nuclear weapons from Russia and or some of their allies and coastal cities of the United States were hit. Uh, New York was the most frequently mentioned, but there were other cities as well, strategic spots on both of our coasts. And then as a result, uh, martial law was declared. And then we were called in to serve. And I would have had to go to one of three places uh, and be gone for up to six months at a time from my family without even being allowed to tell them where I was at. And mind you, in the beginning, this was all presented as kind of a patriotic kind of thing, you know, a way to help serve your country, but the more I got into it, I saw a, a different uh, agenda at play. We were briefed regularly by globalists. Uh, one At one of our luncheons, a prominent globalist insider from Washington, D.C., whose claim to fame was that he had been an advisor in every administration since FDR, be it Democrat or Republican, uh, said, among other things, that in order for the U.S. to be successful in the coming new world order, we would have to abandon and move away from our Judeo-Christian ethic and embrace the religious philosophies of the East. He actually said that during the luncheon. Afterwards, by the way, he got a standing ovation. And there were even some people from our military there. There were about maybe 300 people at that meeting. I was one of them there. And again, I believe the Lord put me there just so I could uh, take this in, because I was very young to be in that organization, I believe I was the youngest member. And, um, and so I took it to heart. And so these are some of the things going on behind the scenes. But the, the scenarios that we were exposed to back then, what is emerging right now with the Ukraine crisis could become that type of scenario. That's what I'm trying to say. So we have to be ready. That's
0: right. Wow, that is so interesting and, and helpful in understanding what's going on. Where can people get your book?
1: Um, you can go to our website, which is simply my name, Gary Kaw, G-A-R-Y-K-A-H dot O-R-G. Okay. And uh, you can get the book there. And also our last two bulletins that we just got out quickly in the last two weeks regarding the Ukraine situation. You can read them there as well. And uh, and some other material we have. And, and of course, we, we publish a research news journal as well. Uh, documenting a lot of these kinds of of developments that people can subscribe to at our website.
0: Yes, and and talking about the book first, people, when you get a book that was written 30 years ago, a lot of people would think, well, I want a newer one. You don't want a newer one. The reason is this kind of book, because it was written 30 years ago, is so powerful in influencing others because they see how did they know that and it adds credibility to the author. So I'm encouraging you all get two or three or five copies, whatever of this one to keep and, and and get all this incredible information to hear. But then people that are just waking up, what's going on? It's a great thing to give them. Hey, read this. This was written 30 years ago and again, it adds the credibility that sometimes needed so people don't just go, oh, that's stupid that, you know, when, when they see Man, a lot of stuff he was talking about it's already long long since happened so that's key at his website which is below i've got it on the screen right there he's got these updates he has kind of a newsletter type thing what did you call it
1: yeah uh hope for the world update and that's yeah. how we keep people up to date so the book kind of provides the foundation for understanding it and then we keep people up to date yes. uh, through that uh, research news journal
0: yes and and i'm a subscriber of that i get that and read it i just read your a week or so ago when you issued the updates on the ukraine and i thought oh it was just it was a blessing and and i i could tell boy we we are thinking the same on this which is encouraging too because when there's so much disinformation out there sometimes you go i don't know what is going on it's tough sometimes for all of us but so people these are some action things you can do to make a difference and wake others up, these are always great to have different types of resources for different people. Um, As you know from listening today, we are in serious times and I know you know that, that's why you're listening. But you need to not have that cause fear or anxiety, you need to have that first drop you to your knees And you need to be praying for our country god is a merciful god he can choose to show mercy on us even when so many have left and done their own thing he he loves his children so i know he's spared cities in past world history (laughs) he would have if there was only 10 righteous people in them and so i just encourage you to be very prayerful don't be anxious but then realize god put me on this earth to be a light to be the salt i need to to study to understand the times and then i need to educate those around me and then help them get activated into doing what they can do of course sharing the gospel is always a vital thing because it allows the blind man to finally see and see the truth of this spiritual battle end. but gary i appreciate you so much we we love you and your family um and i just i we're grateful to you for all you've done over the decades to help preserve our freedom and and, and we just want to thank you
1: well to god be the glory totally and It's such a blessing uh, to be friends with like-minded people like you. You know, it's a team effort to get this information out. And God has been faithful to give us time to warn people and get it out. And I just wanna reemphasize, yeah, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power of love and of a sound mind. And and so we can move forward in confidence with the Lord. We know our eternity is secure in him if we have put our faith in in, in Jesus Christ, but now we have a job to do. We're his end time warriors, and we need to stand firm and to get the truth out and uh, be a blessing to the Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. No, that's thank you. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Please share this and and help wake others up and do what you can do. But I appreciate you greatly. And until next week, God bless you.